I was a kid, Christmas became the container that held all the delights of childhood. I have vivid memories of being in school Christmas pageants, the sights and smells of a public school gymnasium after dark, the excitement of hanging out in one of the classrooms eating candy and drinking hot chocolate waiting for your part on stage. Equally, I can recall the smell of Christmas at my church in my childhood. On Christmas Eve, every every kid got a half-pound bag of hard candy after the service, filled with humbugs and jelly nougat. And who can forget the taste of chicken bones, those long, pink, cinnamon-flavored candies stuffed with bittersweet chocolate. And of course, you get to the bottom of the bag, where all the little bits of homemade peanut brittle were all stuck to that giant popcorn molasses ball. I can't believe I made it to high school with all my real teeth. You see, so much of Christmas is filled with nostalgia and sentiment. And not all of it good memories either for many of us. But I'm sure most of us can recall some comfort in the periphery of the Christmas season if we search hard enough. But for those struggling to find any comfort in your Christmas memories, you might have an advantage in appreciating what the gospel accounts are bearing witness to. You see, for many of us, the warm, fuzzy feelings often come at the expense of a story that really does desire to move us, to challenge us, to comfort us. This story can easily lull us to sleep with its soft music and twinkling lights, but in its first telling, this ancient story was meant to wake people up, not put them to sleep. It's important to know that these stories didn't follow Jesus around his whole life either. Matthew 13.55 records that in Jesus' hometown after he'd been teaching, that those who most likely grew up with him said, Hey, isn't this Jesus the carpenter's son? Isn't his mom Mary? Aren't his siblings all here among us? Matthew writes that they all took offense because Jesus was small town just like them. Yet he spoke unlike anything they'd ever heard. He healed the sick. He even had followers. Basically, they're saying, did we miss something? They didn't grow up with Jesus. Hearing stories about angels and wise men, they didn't hear this. This wasn't his reputation. Jesus was ordinary to them. Instead, the the first time these birth narratives of Jesus were written down was nearly 60 years after his death. Sure, at some point there was an oral tradition, but clearly not right away. And it seems that during a very tumultuous time in Jewish history, these stories were finally written down. Buried in their telling was a hope that in the darkest of times, when all seems lost or out of control or just plain hopeless, the light of God is not extinguished but points towards something redemptive and meaningful. This story shines brightest in the darkest times of our lives. It's true. Some Christmases, this story will be more meaningful than others, largely because of our personal experiences and our belief as to whether or not this story has something to say to us. And it has been that way throughout history. Two years ago, I found this to be incredibly true. On December 11th, 2020, in a cold, sterile office of an ear, nose, and throat surgeon, I received the devastating news of my most recent biopsy. She said, this is good news. We caught it now. It didn't compute. How could you use the words good news in the same sentence as cancer? Now, I could call my doctor an angel. Technically, she was a messenger. It's what the word actually means. The news was troubling. Yet she said it was good. Maybe I could relate to Mary in a new way or Joseph. Fear was my response as well. Like Mary, I left my messenger and I ran to my hill country, to my Elizabeths, for comfort. Then I had to write sermons for Advent. 
that same week. And I opened up these old familiar stories with a sense of deep confusion and confusion and trepidation in my heart. But this time it was different. I didn't notice what I'd focused on before. The angels, the stars, even Jesus. Now this time I noticed the people, the faith, the determination, the hope, the perseverance, the trust. Jesus plays a very small role, literally. He doesn't speak. He requires protection and care. This story is about everyone else. And I never saw that before. The story is about us. And as I buried myself in this Advent story that year, it took on such a new dimension for me. It held me. It woke me up. It comforted me like it desires, like it was meant to. God always comes. Regardless of economies, biologies, calamities, presidencies, or ethnicities, the story happens. But are we awake to see it? and to trust in its timeless message, and to find ourselves in it as the characters in a story God is telling. When read from a place of vulnerability, the story reveals some of its greatest truths. But many of us just want the story about the baby and the sheep, the bumbling wise men arguing over spices. Some like it better when Jesus was born in a barn, not in the back of a peasant home, or when we didn't know that Joseph got so upset when he found out that Mary was pregnant. We want and wanted to divorce her. We, we want a story that is a little cleaner. But the story is more edgy when you realize the depth of Mary's confusion and the fear at the troubling message from the supernatural stranger. You wouldn't be alone if you liked the safe and tidy version. Truthfully, it didn't take long for the original story to get its adaptations. Within a hundred years or so, the first embellished fictional account of the nativity was already in circulation. Many other accounts began to pop up, each with their own extraordinary claims, some just trying to clean up the dark bits. Come on, let's just keep it light after all. One account found in a uh, telling called The Ascension of Isaiah, which is a pseudepigraphical book, was not accepted as authentic by the early church fathers, wasn't part of the canon. But in that early adaptation... The writer placed the giving birth part with Mary instead, just finding him in her house. Now it sounds more like E.T. without the M&Ms. Even the part about the wise men, we've polished off nicely. Yet the story tells us that when they rolled up into Jerusalem looking for Jesus, everybody was disturbed, not just Herod. It's actually a troubling part of the story. But it's an important part of the story. So important that it's actually given more real estate than Jesus' actual birth. Matthew talks about Jesus' birth in 11 verses. But the story of the Magi, the wise men, gets 23 verses. These mysterious foreign visitors have captured the imaginations of readers since it was written. As a child, this was one of my favorite parts. And the most coveted role in the play, aside from being Mary or Joseph, or even the baby himself, the wise men was the coveted role. Wearing those cardboard crowns, spray-painted gold with macaroni glued to it. Come on. And I don't know who donated this shiny silver bathrobe that I wore when I was 11, but that pocket full of wet humbugs wouldn't be easy to clean. Now the word magi. It comes from the Latinized form of the Greek word magoi, which is transliterated from a Persian word where we get the word magic from the same root. These were magi, astrologers, stargazers, able to read the stars, 
They're from the east, most likely Persia. It's assumed that there was three because there was three gifts, but we don't know. There's no evidence whatsoever that they were kings. That didn't pop up until the third century. By the sixth century, they'd been given names. Bithyseria, Melchior, and Gaspa. By the 14th century, the names were Balthazar, king of Arabia, Melchior, king of Persia, and Gaspar, king of India. But Matthew's original account says these mysterious individuals followed this light for months, finally arriving in Jerusalem and asking for directions. They weren't kings, but they were looking for the king, the king of the Jews. Matthew writes that this news disturbed everyone. Isn't that interesting? Imagining these strange, even ominous characters coming into town with their macaroni crowns. News spread faster than truth. And we know what that's like. I wonder if they're unsettled thinking that hope could be present in their midst without them even knowing it. How long has it been here? They can't see it. I wonder if that would is what disturbed them. If I discovered that in my searching, in my longing, that what I've been looking for is already here, that truth would keep me up at night. Joy won't come from something that isn't here, but from discovering what's already. For others, maybe they're disturbed like Herod because they have power, and this seems to be something they cannot control. Herod calls together the chief priests and the top theologians, and he asks if there was a prophecy as to when and where the Messiah was to be born. These scholars find a passage in Isaiah. They attribute it to the coming of the one who will bring justice and peace. And they say, Bethlehem. So Herod has a meeting with these Magi. He finds out how long they've been following this star, and then he sends them on their search, but asks them to return and tell him where the child is so that he too can worship. Now, later, after visiting the child, Jesus, these magi, these wise men, they have a dream that they should not return to Jerusalem. So they go home a different way. Joseph, the father of Jesus, also has a dream to take the family and flee to Egypt because Herod will seek to kill the child. Herod realized that he'd been duped when the magi didn't return, so he does the math. And from when they had visited him and assumed that the child must be at least under two years old, and he orders a genocide. He orders the slaughter of all the children, two and under, in Bethlehem. This is known as the slaughter of the innocents. It's reminiscent of the story of Moses, intentionally so. Jesus will be the new Moses, bringing his people free. The story has so many heavy parts in it. It's not that we can't clean it up to make it suitable for kids. It's that we shouldn't want to. See, the hard bits are the parts that hit home. This story seems to bear witness to the human experience for so many. We think of the news, the war in Palestine right now, and the Gaza Strip, the terrible irony of what we're witnessing. Light will come, but not without a cost. Many senseless things seem to happen. The story seems at times like life to be filled with tragedy, and yet, there's hope. Hope for us looking back and reading, but at the time, there are moments, I'm sure, where they wondered. Hope isn't that everything's going to work out fine. Hope is an expectation that all is not known, that there is more to the story, 
that the final word has not yet been spoken, that in God's redemptive economy, all is never lost. It's interesting that the Magi don't just discover Jesus. They have to stop for directions in Jerusalem. They're being led by a star, but also by their faith, their trust in what the star is pointing to. You see, Jesus is revealed, not discovered. And there's a difference. It isn't what we're looking at. It's what we see that matters. You've heard me say that the past couple of weeks. There's a truth to that that just finds itself in this story. And what we see is revealed when we are present long enough to notice, when our hearts are ready, when our spirits are hungry, maybe when our hands are empty. It's when the sun goes down that the stars come out. If we could say that we discovered God, then we would be taking the credit for something that is so much bigger than us. And then we'd be tempted to commoditize that discovery and control access to it, because after all, it's ours. Oh, wait. There's a whole industry that's done that. This story reminds us that God reveals himself to the pedestrian, the impoverished, the outcast, the foreigner, to the hungry, to the open, to the pure in heart. These foreign magi come and they worship Jesus. They aren't Jewish or Christian. Jesus' first worshipers are foreigners, possibly Zoroastrian priests, modern scholarship says. It's absurd that any one group would want to claim ownership over what they find. This good news for all people means that Jesus belongs to everybody, not just Christians. This story reminds us that sometimes the ones that should be the closest to the story can seem like the farthest away. I think of the Jewish scribes, the religious leaders in Jerusalem. You see, the miracle in this story isn't that the Magi followed the star and found Jesus. It's that they knew they needed to. The miracle is their faith. It's not that they could read a star map. It's that they set out not fully knowing where they were going or what they would find. All they knew was the direction. And sometimes that's all we have in this life. A direction to face. And we just keep moving forward. Hope is in that bold direction. Not that everything's going to work out great, but hope that everything can matter. And these Magi traveled for almost a year, hypothetically, to come spend a day or two and then head home. It just doesn't make sense. But faith doesn't make sense at times. It's an equation that sometimes has nothing visible on the other side of the equal sign. What makes Advent meaningful is not just the celebration of Christmas Day, but the journey of what gets us here, and what we do when we arrive, and how it will affect us when we return to whatever is next. These magi arrived to meet one who didn't speak, who didn't thank him, shake their hands or promise them a place in his new kingdom, because for them, it seems, the journey was its own reward. So follow the stars in your life. Follow them to wherever they lead. But remember, they're not the destination. They're only pointing the way. Our journeys bring us to a place, yes, but even more, our journeys bring us to a moment again and again and again an important moment. This story is trying to take us all somewhere, not just to help us find something. For me, the story bears witness to the idea that sometimes you can't take what you discover, but you can keep what's been revealed. May this Christmas hold you and light your way. May you move in a direction that can be filled with hope, and in the stillness of your moments, may God's presence reveal itself to you. 
And may that be enough for you in this moment and carry you to the next. Merry Christmas, everybody.